0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be in the studio today with um, two guests, actually, and my first guest who's sitting beside me is Michelle Tenzik, and Michelle is founder and president of East 10th Group, which is a leadership advisory and executive coaching firm um, in New York City, and we are joined by phone with uh, Michael Mitchell, uh, who is retired, the retired founder and principal of Greenlight Management. So I'm thrilled to have my first male guest, and I'm happy to have Michelle with me in the studio to talk about mentorship and leadership. Michael, thanks so much for joining us.
1: It's entirely my pleasure, Susan. And hello, Michelle.
0: Hi, Michael. We're all here together, and we're going to kind of do a little bit of back and forth, and um, I think it's going to be a great show. And what I'd like to do first is, is just start with a quick uh, background of how the two of you met and know each other. So, Michelle, why don't you start and, and tell us how that came to be? Sure. Um, I had just completed my
2: MBA at the University of Albany, and one of the employers I was considering was Swiss Bank Corporation, and they were kind enough to make me an offer, but I actually turned them down <laughs> And went to Morgan Guarantee Trust because Morgan was offering me more money and I had a lot of student loans to pay. Okay. But I knew in my heart and my soul that Swiss Bank was the right choice for me. And shortly thereafter, I knocked on their door again. And fortunately, Mike had one headcount left um, before they were closing open headcount. And I joined them in January of 1987 and uh, worked with and for Mike from that time.
0: And how many years were you together?
2: Uh, we were at Swiss Bank from 1987 till late 1990. And then Mike had gone on to Tiffany & Company, Mm -hmm. and fortunately, after bugging him long enough, he brought me (laughs) along with him about a a year and a half later to Tiffany's. yeah. And we were together there for about five years.
0: Okay. Michael, I thought it might be helpful for the listeners for you to talk a little bit about why you felt it was important to join us here today and uh, kind of speak uh, with Michelle about the importance of, of mentorship and specifically men supporting women.
1: Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate uh you inviting me to the show to to talk about this important subject and i I feel honored really, because I am, as you said, your first male guest yes
0: <laughs> my my operator Tim, is very happy to have you in here today
1: <laughs> yes that, that, that's that's great um We're in good company now, right. The the idea here for me is one that I've really been working with my whole life, and along the way, and I I think it was probably the advent of the birth of my daughter, I really began to focus uh, my energy on the importance of the male relationship with women, particularly as it pertains to uh, mentorship, uh, self-esteem development, and so on. But it came as a result of my uh, passion for, for mentoring from the beginning, which started in my life at a very young age of nine, uh, when I met my first mentor. And I've been very fortunate to have several in my life. And really what we're talking about is the cycle of mentorship. You know, we we receive from them and we give to others, and then hopefully those others give to others and the cycle continues. Right. So along the way, as I say, I I gained this tremendous interest uh, in the self-esteem development of women. And Michelle helped me a great deal here in the sense that I I learned a lot from her about what worked and what didn't. And I found along the way that when I thought, and I think most men think that they're doing a great job in in mentoring and developing women, but in fact we really aren't. And the reason, I think, is that we're not really understanding the internal mechanisms, the the internal development um, of women personally, professionally, and spiritually. So the most important thing that I learned, and this became related to the birth of my daughter, I really was motivated to learn to be better at it. I realized, most importantly, <clears throat> that I was a terrible listener, and I found that <clears throat> in coaching and mentoring anyone, but particularly women, there's three things that are of utmost importance. Listening, engaging, and supporting. <clears throat> listening, and, and not trying to solve anything, but just simply listening. hmm Engaging means simply, I trust you, I love you, I have your back. And supporting means exactly that: supporting their reactions, their actions, their results, her real results, her actions, and really not directing anything. Just being there and supporting as we go along. <clears throat> and so that, I mean, that's a, a, a brief synopsis. I have really made this, I suppose, one of my um, important callings in life after I retired uh, January of '11. To really focus on developing as many women in the world as I can, uh, to open their hearts, to open their their worlds, because we need this. And I, my mission these days is save a heart, save a life. And I have a number of, of what what I call you know great people in my life right now, who I'm working with from business owners to to college students, et cetera, and really working hard at this. So I'm open to any any questions you have, and I appreciate so much the opportunity to to talk through this important subject.
0: You know, it really is important, Michael, and I I know that you shared with me that um, growing up, there were two very important people in your life, and and that was your mother and your grandmother. And I would imagine that had a huge influence on you and why you feel such um, a strong need to advocate for women. Those were your, your role models.
1: They were, and I want to add one word to that, Susan, which is these were very strong women. These were, were women that um, had both uh, great happiness in life and great tragedy in life. But every day, you know, my mother would say to me, you know, Michael, tomorrow the sun will shine. They were strong. They were, they were always focused on a positive agenda always moving forward and I think it's those characteristics and qualities that I see and want to see in my women friends and colleagues today
0: mm-hmm. resiliency let's
1: get hung up in what in, in what's going on let's always move forward yes in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way the other person I want to mention uh, because it's it's quite important to my work today uh, when I was nine and, and I hope that you find the story interesting. If not, please, please redirect me. But at the age of nine, we were, my mother and I were having, obviously, financial problems, and um, a dear man named Angus Murray, who was the pharmacist, the local corner pharmacist, at the age of nine, he asked me if I wanted to be a delivery boy. And from there, he uh, put a mop in my hand and said, come on inside. And from there, he put a tie on me and put me behind the counter. And from there, he had me running the business and closing. And he, he was a quiet, gentle man who was my first real mentor. He was the type of man who quietly paid for college education for people. And he would do things. He would talk to the bank manager on my behalf. He would talk to the grocery store on my behalf. You know you go in as a kid to get groceries for dinner, and you're told by the owner, "I'm sorry, Michael, we can't do this anymore because you haven't paid your bill." Then all of a sudden I go back and it's it's okay, so he was helping us in that way
3: mm-hmm.
1: He was a great person, a great man, and he's someone that I in my own life today, I try to do the same thing for others and it's hugely rewarding and satisfying yeah. so I have that as a young person I have Two incredibly beautiful, strong women in my life and and a wonderful, generous man uh, living from his heart that no one would ever know. So these were, were individuals that really shaped me very strongly.
0: Right. And and I will say that there's nothing more powerful for people than to have someone who believes in them. This is correct. Yes. Um, Michelle, I wonder if you could speak um, for a few minutes about what are some of the very specific things that Michael did for you and said to you that's contributed to your success?
2: Happy to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is just, it is, as Michael said, this is just such an honor for both of us to be here together. Um, Sort of, it's, uh, I think, both of our life work to really empower women and continue to see their success in every walk of life. Um, You know, when I think back to those early days when I started to work uh, for Mike, you know, what really stood out to me uh, is his ability, one, to, in human resources, because that was my field of choice, was really to direct me and uh, provide a lot of freedom in terms of how I could be in that field. Um, but two, he made it a lot of fun. Um, we had a fun department. We had, a lot of, we had fun going out after work. And he really taught me to not sweat the small stuff. And it was really always about the bigger picture. So and there was always a goal. There was a goal in the in the future somewhere that we were going after so that as long as we were pointed towards that goal, that some of the things that were happening around us, you know, to sort of let it roll off our back. The other thing that I would say he really instilled in me was um, and I and I haven't come up with a better word yet for this, but is to really be a rebel um, Michael had a way of uh, challenging um, some of the authority around us and some of the structure, and yet he did it because he had such a passion and belief in what we were trying to achieve, and this was particularly at Swiss Bank and even thereafter at Tiffany & Company. And I definitely, that was in me already um, in terms of how I was as a young girl and as a young woman, and he just allowed me to really bring that out In my corporate life. And I have carried that with me (laughs) ever since. And I would say that most employers um, that I've worked for since would describe me as definitely someone who is a little bit edgy and definitely push the boundaries as often as possible. But Michael laid the foundation for me to be able to do that and to be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I, excuse me, I think that's really huge. I think that um, what I'm hearing is that he was constantly validating you, you and who you were, and to teach someone to question and be a rebel, as you say, that's all about courage. Yes. You know, being brave yeah. enough, mm-hmm. and especially for women who, you know, historically um, were not taught to kind of speak up and, and maybe question uh, things specifically in the workplace. I think that was wonderful for for uh, Michael, for you to do that for Michelle.
2: And the other thing that I think really stood out to me is, um, you know, we can come across leaders in our careers and in our life that can be threatened by another um, individual that has talent um, I never found Michael to be threatened by that. In fact, he wanted to expose and position not only myself, but others in the department in the best light possible. And he looked to complement his own skill set because uh, I was in front of the president of Swiss Bank within a number of months. And similarly, at Tiffany's, I had just great exposure to very senior executive management. And there was never a, you know, you, you can't be in front of these folks and you can't be speaking up um, because I'm the head of the department. There just wasn't that tension. No ego. And there really wasn't. Um, And one of the things I remember him saying to all of us in the department was, you know, how my department runs is you leave your ego at the door. And if you can't do that, then this department isn't the department for you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've heard myself say Mm -hmm. over the years to people who've worked for me or departments that I've run is you got to leave your ego at the door. And we're all in this together. Right. And that was something that absolutely was instilled early with him and has held true ever since.
0: Oh, I would say that Michael was somewhat ahead of his time because I think there's a lot of talk today yes. about collaboration and people working together and not having this tiered, um, you know, uh, group where where someone's in charge and is going to basically, you know, tell everyone else how to do things. So. Michael, I commend you for that. I really do feel that, you know, speaking to your employees with that openness of of listening and knowing that they have something to contribute um, is really um, a great trait.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you, Michelle. Uh, A a couple of of words that I heard, and I'd like to bring some clarity around. Uh, From the, the mentor's point of view or from the leader's point of view, I think it is so important Uh, for us, men and women, when we are in the charge of others, to be unconditional regardless. And that state of being unconditional creates what you described, Susan, as validating people's actions. And it's so important for us to validate ourselves, not to be validated by someone else, but rather to have this sense of complete unconditional support and love and trust and faith that what we're going to do is going to produce a great outcome, even if it's a mistake or a problem. Because we need to learn our edges, our boundaries. We need to go over lines. We need to set an environment at home, in the workplace, wherever, where failure is a part of our success formula, trying, taking risks. This is all very, very powerful stuff. And if we live in fear, we'll never get to where we want to get to. But the simplicity of it, and it's something that I have been lucky enough, in each of my mentors, they have been unconditional. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful word, it's a wonderful word for us to keep with us every day in dealing with others regardless of, of role or responsibility. The other point I want to say is, and Michelle exemplifies this tremendously, I want to make sure that we shine light on what I call we're all 100% responsible. It isn't enough for women to come across a great leader, a great mentor, be it male or female, but women must also take responsibility for who they are, responsibility to break the patterns and the cycles that they've been brought up with, to really keep growing forward and getting out of the box, to be able to connect really positively and properly with if they're lucky enough in life to come across and find a great mentor, they also need to take responsibility for the baggage they bring to that point of where they are in their life and look inwardly, which is a huge element of building self-esteem, to stop moving the furniture around, look inside, love and accept you know, who they are, don't judge anything, just be in the moment and move forward and be the best you can be. So there's a responsibility on both sides. I just wanted to highlight that for you.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really important, um, especially today, because there seems to be a constant um, or a lot of pressure on all of us today um, to be perfect. You know, just there's such a barrage of information about how to be successful, be healthy, um, you know, be the best version of yourself that you can be. Sometimes I think that that's Pressure and and what you just spoke about is a reminder that we are all humans and we do make mistakes, Michelle. Yeah. I wonder if you could speak to that for a few minutes.
2: Yeah, what that really brings to mind for me is, and I'm really glad uh, Michael brought this up, is, you know, when I think about how I grew up, um, I grew up with a mom who was French. She came to the states and uh, when she was 26, I was adopted. Um, she married my father a couple years later, and they adopted me in 1963. Uh You know, what really, I I was very much raised to take responsibility for myself. I think I'm also just wired that way. That's my genetics also. Um, And I was quite successful as as a young girl in a lot of the things that I did. Um, But I also had a very demanding father and mother, um, both who had very high expectations for me and always set the bar high. And that contributed to what I think I was naturally a perfectionist and went after that. Um, And that contributed to it. And, you know, as I got into my work life and I was going down that same path of really seeking always to be the best in terms of whatever I did, I ended up paying a very dear price. And um, I became very ill with depression. Um, I suffer from deep clinical depression. And that started when Michael and I worked together at Tiffany's, and I did get some treatment at that time for it. I was hospitalized for it, but it still was a long path for me. It still took me another good eight to ten years before I really was able to look inward to myself as opposed to outward um, about how things around me were affecting me as opposed to looking inside myself to see what could I focus on and work on? And certainly, depression was not my fault, and, I, and it's never anyone's fault to have an, a mental illness. But certainly, to take the responsibility to hopefully be able to get well from it right. very much rested inside me.
0: Right. Uh, I'd like to follow up with uh, that a little bit more. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Michael will be back in just a moment. It's really tough
3: for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit mutualfundstore.com or call a mutual fund store now in East Norrington and Cherry Hill, 877 239 8330. That's 877 239 8330.
4: The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash WPN. Go Nova!
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits, and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized, Success. InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
0: Welcome back, everyone, here at Women to Watch at WWDB AM 860. I'm in the studio today joined with two wonderful guests, Michelle Tenzik, who's driven down from New York City to be with us, and Michael Mitchell, who's on the phone with us. And right before the break, uh, Michelle was sharing with us one of the biggest challenges she has had to face throughout her life. And, and that, um, began when she was working with Michael and it was an issue of, uh, depression and, um, finish talking about, you know, how that had an effect on you and, and in what ways Michael helped you with that.
2: Sure. Um, you know, when I remember back and it started in 1994, um, the, the help that Michael gave me was first giving me permission to get help um, for it, which was uh, really critical and allowing me the time off from work to do that. Also, there was, you know, when I got back to the workplace um, after a, a, a couple of hospitalizations, there really was some limitations on what I could do and what I couldn't do, and he needed to work with one of my doctors on making sure that we had the right plan to sustain me in the workplace and, and make it more comfortable for me. Um, because I just, um, the way that depression affected me is I was, I had memory problems Um, I wasn't, uh, I I didn't have the stamina to work all day. Um, I had, you know, I could only do so many hours. Um, I was also very fragile. Um, it created a lot of self doubt for me. Um, I really questioned my abilities And so all of those pieces needed to be supported, which is very hard to do in today's workplace. And even back then, it was very hard to do. Um, And I, you know, I like to say that even today, and this is why it was so important for me to talk about it on this show, is I still very much believe that men and women, um, but I'd like to focus on women, really suffer from this, but suffer from it silently. Mm -hmm. Because I might look exactly as I look today when I show up with depression in the workplace but yet I'm suffering internally very deeply and there needs to be a lot of love and care and support and because it's it's a mental illness it feels not as tangible so it's much harder to cope with um, you know I remember when I suffered my last serious bout in 2006 a very my best friend who's a uh, peds-oncologist nurse, so she's very familiar with caring with very difficult situations. After watching me go through my bout, she said, give me um, a kid with cancer to take care of any day over taking care of you with depression, because she couldn't fix it. She couldn't just put, you know, a cold compress on my forehead or give me an IV. Um, It just, it was, it's, intangible, you can't always describe what the support needs to be. And so it makes it very difficult for people around you. Um, and, you know, for me, it's taken me years to get all the right kind of support and help. But thankfully, today, I have that it is possible. So I want to encourage anyone who's listening, men or women, to please Speak up, speak up to your families and do get help for it. Uh, I've managed to do still very well in my life, both personally and professionally Mm -hmm. with this illness. So it's very possible to live with it and still live a very full life.
0: Right. And and I think it's important to, you know, that as a society we talk more and more openly about it you know before the show we we spoke about how you know all types of illnesses um specifically cancer is is at the forefront of you know things that we're trying to find cures for um but there's this stigma and this almost this embarrassment for people uh, with mental illness and it shouldn't be you mm-hmm. know it's just another you know the brain is a part of the body just like every other part and I think you're right. I think that um, women in particular, um, statistically, they say, suffer from more depression than men, and, and they should be allowed to speak openly about it because yes. that will lead to healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah,
1: very Susan, much so. If, if I may to pick up Sure. on an element of Michelle's story, um, first of all, I've, I've kind of lived through it and just want to celebrate really... Um, where where Michelle sits uh, in her life right now, it's it's quite a miraculous story. And yet, in my travels, I meet so many women who follow the same sort of pattern, this pattern of, I have to be perfect, I have to do this, I have to do that, whether they're single, married, married with children, it doesn't matter, there's these, these patterns. And Michelle had the courage to break those patterns and to really address the underlying elements Um, relating to self-esteem and other factors. And what I say to women when I meet them, I say simply, please stop, breathe, love yourself, accept yourself. And it's really so simple, but so difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to break these patterns, these these patterns of, of, I need to be perfect, I need to be, you know, all of these things. And so important to find healthy male influences and friends and colleagues, to be patient and give time, and to use mentors as a personal change agent to help work through that. And I think most importantly, which is what Michelle does now, and and it it brings such joy to my heart, is to celebrate who you are, to celebrate the feminine, to celebrate as a woman celebrates from the heart. And don't worry what anybody thinks. This isn't the male ladder. This is about women and their lives and their special traits and characteristics and bringing actualization as a woman to our families, to our workplace, to our friends.
0: Yeah, it's very true. You know, I think we should talk a few minutes about why, <clears throat> looking out even further, why even the three of us in particular feel that it's important, you know, what is what is going to change Um, for the world when women are more confident in themselves. And um, Michelle pointed out to me a book that I know you're both familiar with, The Athena Doctrine. And it's very, very interesting to me um, because I think it speaks to what changes, positive changes will happen when women are kind of in more policymaking positions and leadership roles. You know, what is it once we are able to to treat women the way that you're speaking of, Michael, what is going to happen? And Why don't you each speak to that individually, Michelle?
2: Sure. Um,
0: Yeah, the Athena
2: Doctrine is on the New York Times bestseller list, and one of the authors is my good friend and colleague, John Gertzma. Um, And what it proposes is a modern leadership model, and it's steeped in deep research of 64,000 individuals across the world, and both male and female. And what it comes back with is telling us that it's the feminine traits that is being most craved and most visible now. In the world, whether it be governments, small businesses, larger businesses, um, not-for-profits, NGOs, and so forth, that are really speaking volumes—that that that is the way people want to be led, regardless of gender—and I think that's extremely powerful. And what it really, why it's speaking to me so much about what it does for women for the future is. I truly believe, um, even with the the few faults Michael referenced about himself earlier on, he set that up in the workspace for me and for others way back in the late '80s and early '90s. So this is not as much as it's it's a new book for Michael and I. It's not a new way for us to think. Mm-hmm. This is what we've believed in for years and years and years and years, and. However, what I will say for myself is a book like The Athena Doctrine continues to give me permission to really be fully the woman that I am in all of the work that I do. So I can be more vulnerable. Um, I can show up uh, with um, just just more femininity in the workplace and feel very comfortable about that. Um, it speaks to things such as empathy, collaboration, collaboration. Um, and the ability for inclusion, both male and female. And I do believe that the more we see women take on leadership roles, and as you mentioned, Susan, whether it be in policy or in other types of uh, roles, the more I believe that we will see some walls come down throughout the world. Mm -hmm. I believe that it will be easier um, for us to communicate with each other I think it will be more comfortable for people to fully be who they are and not feel as if they have to put up um, shields or walls around them to bring their whole person to whatever it is that they're doing. But they'll, they'll be freer and more comfortable, and I certainly am hopeful that in my lifetime I will see more of that, and I do believe it will come from women constantly taking on positions of power mm-hmm. and of strength um, right. throughout our world in many different ways. Right.
0: And, you know, what I see happening, if, if that, you know, moves along in the, in the direction we hope it will, is that I think pro- what's been happening is problems aren't getting solved. You know, people get stuck because they're, you know, their heads are batting together and there's com- competition and ego and all of that. Um, I, I tend to see women as, you know, let's fix this problem and move on to the next thing. And when people are allowing each other the freedom to express what their thoughts and opinions are, people move forward, you know. Uh, Michael, what, what traits do you see in women that you feel are the most productive in the workplace?
1: Well, I think I'd, I'd like to um, definitely respond to that. I'd like to add to what Michelle was talking about and what you're, you're uh, yourself referring to. I, I think as a society, we've lost our way. And we've lost our way through male-dominated approaches to everything from from problems to to social issues. My greater purpose, which I referenced at the beginning of your show, Susan, is precisely aligned with this broader objective to bring a light to both men and women on the importance of living our lives from within. What I love about the Athena Doctrine is it it brings modern, fresh words around this whole idea, this whole approach. And when you talk about women in powerful positions, what I really want to clarify is it's so important for them to be in power positions the Athena way, and I use that as an example. The Athena way, not the male-dominated way. You know, there are examples of, of women who have been promoted recently to CEOs of very important companies. And they do things like they return to work, you know, four days after a, a maternity uh, event. This is not the Athena way. You know, d- putting women into powerful positions and, and having them behave just like men is not the answer. Right. And the important thought I want to uh, conclude here with is Athena is for men and women. In my work, I speak to men. I work, uh, volunteer work. Uh, I do a lot of work with heads of boards and members of boards, and I sit and listen to them respond in very male ways, and I I challenge that. And I I, I say to them, well, if you had to solve this problem from your heart, what would it be? And you wouldn't believe the looks I get. But you know what? These are great guys, too, and they, they look at it and they think about it and they go, you know what? You're right. Let me, let me rephrase that or let me rethink about, you know, that issue. We need to challenge that. We need to challenge it when we see it both with men and with women. And I'm very proud to say that a lot of my male colleagues are responding tremendously well to these ideas. And it gives me great encouragement going forward. But on the one hand, we have women developing their own uh, in, internal uh, uh, womanness, ness femininity, and leadership. And at the same time, we have men being challenged to to think differently and to think more of the Athena way, which actually, as you said, Susan, is is a much more effective way to lead and, and, and achieve results.
0: Right. Yeah. We, why should we not be allowed to mention the heart in the workplace? Right.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Michelle, I'd love to hear uh you speak on how you actually came to, to start this company, and if you, we can kind of jump ahead a little bit to your years um, after working with Michael, and who it, how did you come about um, forming East 10th Group, and, and who helped you with that? Sure. Uh, I knew uh, fairly early on in my career
2: that I wanted to be ahead of human resources. And so as I worked with Michael and then I, any subsequent roles, I really was moving towards that vision that I had for myself. And I was able to achieve that with my first head of human resources uh, position in 1997 with a company called Primedia and their subsidiary McMullen Argus, which was out on the West Coast. And that was the first time I was a VP of HR. And I had all the responsibilities for that company, um, anything related to human resources and reported to the president. So from there, I continued down that path. I continued on Um, being a head of HR for a number of companies. But one of the things that I always knew inside myself is that something was off. Um, Just as we talked about with the depression and and everything that I had to overcome there, I also just felt as if I wasn't really fulfilling my purpose. Um, It was doing good work. I was good at what I did. But it just didn't feel like it was connected. And over time, people would tell me, oh, you should be a consultant, Michelle. You would really do well at that. But I honestly, Susan, I was scared. I didn't know what that meant or how to go about it. And people seemed to say it so confidently to me. Um, I was actually too scared to say back to them, I don't know what you mean. Right. Today, I could say, I don't know what you mean, because I've gained that confidence in myself that mm-hmm. it's okay to say I don't know. Right. Um, back then, I wasn't yet able to say that. But What happened was in 2006, I actually got fired from a job, and it really was a very difficult time for me. I had never been fired before. Um, It really hit me hard. And as I was looking for yet another head of HR job, realizing it's not really what I want, um, I took on some project work. And all of a sudden, it started to clue me in that I could actually maybe do this consulting thing. And yet I didn't want to just hang a shingle out there. I wanted to really form a business. And from there, I formed East 10th Group. And I had asked a few people very close to me, as Michael referenced, other mentors in my life, what they thought of me starting a business and not getting another job. And everybody supported it. Um, so people who had my best interest in mind all encouraged me. And that's how I formed East 10th Group. Yeah, And that happened in March of 2007.
0: 2007. Okay. And and for the listeners, people who, who are listening to the show and wondering what types of services you offer, talk a little bit about what exactly you do.
2: Sure. So East 10th Group um, today is fiercely committed to the small and middle market businesses that perhaps are not able to fund internal strategic HR or leadership advisory roles because they just can't take it onto their payroll. And East 10th Group is positioned to come in and provide that kind of strategic input. Um, We have depth of HR experience and years of being in leadership positions, and we are Perfectly poised um, to help companies really look at their leadership teams, look at their talent, ensure that they're attracting the right talent, retaining it, and developing it, and most importantly, develop them, developing themselves as leaders of their companies. And that's where we excel.
0: Okay, great. We're go- we're going to take one last quick break. Um, Michael will be back in a moment, and we will be continuing to talk about leadership and women and business. Uh-
4: The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash WPN. Go Nova!
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits, and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized Success, Insource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. Insource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact Insource today at 610 592 0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
3: It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice some brokers only push the latest hot stocks and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars that's where the mutual fund store comes in it's where you talk with your local advisor someone you can meet with face to face not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away and your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be from day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330.
0: Welcome back to Women to Watch. Um, I'm in the studio today with Michelle Tenzik, who is founder and president of East 10th Group. And we're also joined by Michael Mitchell, who is retired as the founder and principal of Greenlight Management. And Michael's joining us by phone. And uh, just before the break, Michelle was talking about exactly what her services are uh, with with East 10th Group. And uh, why don't you go ahead and finish up with that?
2: Sure. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, the other part of our business is executive coaching and leadership coaching. And I work with um, primarily leaders, usually directors and above, who are looking to really uh, maximize their performance in an organization and be the best leaders that they can be. Um, and I do that through ensuring that they are more productive, that they're more efficient, and that they're more able to bring their full selves to the workplace. Um, that's something that is speaks to me personally. I also believe very strongly that through my own personal journey of things that I've had to overcome also uh really managing through a very, very difficult divorce in the late 90s. And all of those experiences have helped form me as an executive coach. And I really feel that when I'm in front of a leader that I'm working with and helping, I can really identify and help them through really difficult challenges that they may be having, whether it be personally or professionally. Coaching certainly isn't therapy, but it certainly does look at the whole person. And because of my own experiences, I really can bring that into who I'm working with. And I find that to be very beneficial, as do my clients. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the one thing we didn't touch upon that I think is important, too, is I did get remarried. So I want to give uh, women out there uh, a lot of hope. Um, <laughs> I got remarried um, when I was, just before my 49th birthday. Uh, It took me a long time from that first marriage to this one. But I have to say I am thrilled that I waited as long as I did and found an absolutely amazing partner in my husband, Joe, who also is extraordinarily supportive of women um, in total and certainly of me and and the work that I'm doing. But all of these personal aspects of my life really help me be a better executive when I come in to work with a company or to work with a leader, because I bring all of these experiences to the table and I give the leaders permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. And that is very refreshing for a lot of the leaders that I work with because they're not necessarily used to that. But it gives them great joy that they know I've had certain experiences. Right. So that's the other part of East 10th Group and the work that we do. So the leadership and HR piece of the business as well as the executive coaching. And we work nationally. Uh, I was just mentioning to you um, I have a new client in Colorado um, that I'll be going to see shortly. And tomorrow I'll be in Boston. So we can certainly service all over the United States.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. I wonder if you can speak to to how you see uh, a difference when you're dealing with a male leader and a female leader.
2: Yeah, that's 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 interesting. You know, I was thinking about um, a particular client that I worked with um, over the last few years and a few of his direct reports, and his style is the traditional male style, the very direct, authoritative, authoritative style um, that. I can see the impact that that's having across his organization and um and I wouldn't say positively mm-hmm. um, as talented as as a leader that he is and he is very talented, you can feel the uh, discomfort of a lot of the folks um, being led by that kind of style that just isn't roomy uh, to allow for mistakes or allow for creative thinking. And more innovation, um, because people get tense with that kind of style. Um, but similarly, with some of the women that I work with, I I still find that they are um, packaging themselves, especially at the senior levels, more like their male counterparts, and feeling pressured that that's the way that they need to be in order to survive. And it's really encouraging them that that doesn't have to be their model, that that doesn't have to be their way. Um, and they can still be extraordinarily successful. So what I've seen is, again, the males not quite breaking it down yet, um, but certainly I'm seeing some glimmers of it. Mm-hmm. And for the women to really give them permission that that isn't the way that they have to model
0: themselves. Right. Michael, I'd love to know uh, what it is that that you think um your upbringing did to contribute to your interest in being so supportive of women you know we mentioned the fact that you you know were raised by your mother and your grandmother but there there must be something else that you see um, in the big picture that that happened when you were younger that kind of allowed you to be so um, thoughtful i would say um, at a at a younger age and seeing the importance of this um, support of women that's just happening now, but you saw it earlier. Can you, can you contribute that to anything in your upbringing?
1: And I can, and, and, and then I'd like to, to respond a little bit to um, some of the things you and Michelle have been speaking about. I think that what, and, and I can say this perhaps more credibly now being a parent of two wonderful kids, that there is really not much difference between leading at work and leading at home, or the qualities that make a great leader or the qualities that make a great parent, they're very, very similar. And my the, the positive influences in my life early on were just really great leaders, and they, they taught me about the importance of being positive, being optimistic, having integrity, uh, inspiring me to do things that I, I was afraid to do. They had confidence in me. They were good communicators. They were decisive when they needed to be. I mean, these are all um, elements of of great parenting. They're also elements of of great leadership. And and to your more strategic points, I I think women today are in a unique position to change the world. These elements of leadership that I talk about, women are really extremely well-equipped to deal with them and to, and to lead and manage in that way. And I would sort of throw out there for, for women who are listening, to do a personal audit around their leadership style. Uh, Michelle talked about the differences between men and women. <clears throat> I would like to come back to some ideas that you've talked about or, or, or raised, which is you have the, the, the woman who is the perfectionist model. And then you have the woman who is accepting of who she is and, and where she's heading. The leadership style of those two women are very, very different. And I've had women who are the perfectionist uh, style try to, try to lead me, and it's not very good. And I've had the, the pleasure of being around women who are really well-evolved and well-developed and, and internally to themselves, and they're, they're magnificent. They're magnificent leaders like my mom was a magnificent leader. You know, it's all about being comfortable in your skin and leading from inside out. And women who do an audit and realize that, well, you know, maybe they are a little bit too much in the perfection place should reach out for resources like Michelle, use uh, coaches like Michelle to really be uh, going through a process of auditing and, and change management and getting that help, and from someone who's actually been there, as, as opposed to those that are, have been to the training programs. And so, you know, I think, to, to, to summarize my views, I, I, I'm so excited about the role that, that women have had and will continue to have in making our world a better place. But at the same time, we need to challenge ourselves to get better and better in the right direction.
0: And that's both men and women. Yes, that's both men and women. Yes, um, somebody who's been a, a a big influence in Michelle's life, um, she had mentioned to me was Brene Brown, and uh, Brene speaks often to um, the aspect of vulnerability. And uh, Michelle, I wonder if you could talk about that and why you think that that's so important for women.
2: Yeah, for um, those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Brene Brown, um, you can just Google her TED Talk from two thousand and. 10 um, that had over 10 million views. Um, It's about a 10 minute talk about vulnerability. She's a shame researcher. And as she likes to say, you know, you bring up that word shame and everybody runs for the hills. You know, we don't want to talk about that. But yet, um, as human beings, you know, shame is such a big part of a lot of times what overrides us. It keeps us from doing things. It limits us. It um, doesn't allow us to be free. And in order to look at shame, you have to look through vulnerability and you have to be vulnerable. And, you know, today, even on this program, what I will say is it, it, it's demonstrating my own progress in my life. And I think Michael would be able to uh, agree with this is time I showed up for something that was professional, such as this, Um, I really would never touch on my personal life. I kept that very hidden from view and I sort of suited up and showed up in a certain way. And I've learned um, over the years through all the work I've done on myself and certainly through reading Dr. Brene Brown's work, um, her book on gifts of imperfection as well as daring greatly, it really has given me this great permission and freedom to be and bring this whole self and that's about being vulnerable and being able to talk freely about a divorce and a depression and a subsequent great new marriage, um, all of which brings me such great joy because that's my story right. and that's who I am today. And that's who I bring to my clients, um, again, whether it be businesses or individuals. And I have found that this has really just empowered me to be so much more fully present on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michael mentioned very early on when he first started speaking um, the word spirituality, you know, and that's another one that we just we, we don't hear about in uh, business or we don't want to talk about the heart and spirituality. Yet all of these components to me is what now is about and the future is about. Um, the Athena Doctrine speaks to this. Brene's work speaks to this. And it's everything that Michael and I have talked about today. And this, to me, is the way that we will heal um, corporate America and that we will heal ourselves as leaders and that we really can lead much more freely and openly.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I hope that happens. You know, it really is so powerful to to imagine a, a world where people are brave enough to um, just be honest, right? Honesty, I think, always leads to um, results and uh, problem solving. And uh, there's been so many expectations on us, I think, uh, historically. Again, to you know, to be perfect in in all ways, people are afraid to speak up. Um, we just have a, a moment left, and um, I'd I'd like for each of you to just briefly, if you could, leave one tiny bit of advice. For the listeners, Michael, you to the men t- to how they can be better working with women in the workplace, and Michelle, you for the women. Michael, why don't you go first?
1: Absolutely. Well, I think um, what I speak of is, is my own uh, related to my own personal journey. So it, it's it's not saying something that I haven't done myself. Um, I felt it was really important to go through a process of, of transformation. Uh, in in unhooking myself and and the male-dominated ways of doing things. I think that men need to reflect internally as to what their leadership style is. They need to benchmark against great companies, both historically and currently, and do a self-audit with respect to how well-positioned they are as leaders against what the right model is. You know, cutting costs and firing people is not going to turn our world around. And that's unfortunately what most of my male colleagues are focused on because that's the pressure they're under. We need more courage in the workplace, more courage by men to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And I see it happening, and I see the nose of the boat starting to turn because results are no longer able to be received. We've cut already too much. Things have to start turning around, and men are starting to lead from their hearts a little bit more. And I encourage uh, men to be um, internally reflective as well as incredibly supportive of the women that they're working with, their colleagues, to encourage them to be leading in a style and a manner which is much more productive in our workplace, many of the qualities we've talked about today. Right. So for men, it's two things. Look inside, become a better person, better leader, and, and look at the world around you and, and really identify and empower the, the women who are uh, modeling this behavior.
2: Right. That's terrific. Michelle, real quick. Just quickly, my message to women is ask for help. Ask for help. It's okay. out there.
0: Don't pretend. You whether
2: don't. you're looking for a coach or whether you're looking for a mentor, yeah. ask for help. It's available.
0: Terrific. Listen, I, I'm so grateful to the two of you for joining me today. I think it was a great show with lots of great advice, and uh, I'm very appreciative. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Michelle.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you, Susan. It's been a delight. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week's Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. Everybody, make it a great week.